And like we had one traffic stop. We were driving behind him. I don't think he realized there were police behind him, but he swerved in the road and went over the yellow line. And as soon as I saw that, Officer Sigar would say, what in the world? What are you doing? And I'm like, he's on his phone. And so he lights him up and he pulled in the left lane and then make a U-turn. And when he did that, I'm saying, he's going to run. Thank you for tuning in to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm MCG. And we're attempting to remove barriers so we can all have a clear view of the cross. In this bonus episode of the Removing Barriers podcast, we'll be recounting my experience on a police ride-along with Officer Segabro and his fellow officers. And as usual, we'll not mention his jurisdiction, state, or anywhere he is, but I had a pleasure to ride along with him as he go about his normal beats. Jay is with us, of course, as usual, but we also have Shen from episode 117 when she shared her testimony. So Shen, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Great. All right. Hi, this is Jay. MCG and I would like for you to help us remove barriers by going to removingbarriers.net and subscribing to receive all things Removing Barriers. If you'd like to take your efforts a bit further and help us keep the mics on, consider donating at removingbarriers.net slash donate. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross. Okay, MCG, so why don't you start at the beginning? Why did you want to do this ride-along at all? Well, I think it's twofold. Firstly, the police have been in the news or been demonizing the news a lot. And I feel like we are on the outside looking in and we can point fingers, tell people how to do their job and all that stuff, but never really have the experience or understand what they do or why they do it. So that was one of the reasons because I think police have been unfairly demonizing the community. Of course, some of them do deserve some demonizing, aka the officers in Memphis. But I think for most part, the police force is good and they're doing a good job and what we see on the news doesn't tell the full story. So I wanted to do that because of that. And then secondly, just for the experience of it, just to be able to see what they do and understand and kind of get the inside look. And I must say, I felt like I was on the inside looking out rather than the outside looking in. And that was kudos to the officers that I was with, Officer Sigabro, and there's another officer, I'm going to refer to him as Officer S., that actually, to me, they didn't even treat me like I was an officer. They treated me like I was a police officer with them for the eight hours I was there. So I think they did a pretty good job in kind of bringing me in and showing me the ropes and all that stuff. But I think I arrived there at about 2.45 p.m. and walk into the precinct. One guy with a very deep voice kind of say, hello, how may I help you? And I kind of tell him why I'm there, give him my name and everything, tell him, hey, I'm here for a ride along. And he said, okay. He asked me who I'm going to go with, told him the officer's name, Officer Sigarbro, obviously not his real name. He told me to wait, and then Officer Sigarbro came and got me and stuff like that. We kind of joke about a vest because they didn't have a vest to give me, and I told him, hey, my wife said I should get a vest, and kind of joke about that. But other than that, he showed me around the precinct and all this stuff, and then showed me around the car and everything. And then we got in the car, and we head off to his area. One thing I didn't know, though, about police cars, at least their police car. There's no cushion in the back seat. Mm. It's just a plastic shape of a seat. And I was like, why? You know, you don't want the prisoners to have any cushion or whatever. But he said it was to prevent them from hiding drugs. 
Never thought about that. Hmm. But you see, maybe if I've never done that, I will say, look, they're mistreating their criminals, giving them hard seats. But <laughs> there's actually a reason. There's a reason behind their reason. Right. So I find that very interesting that people even allowed to do a ride along. So how did you find out about this ride along that people could actually do it? Well, we have had Officer Sigabro on our podcast two or three times. And he told me about ride-alongs. I've heard about ride-alongs to other police officers I've known. But I've never really thought about going on one. Because usually, a lot of police force only allow folks to go if they're interested in joining the police, you know, like teenagers or stuff like that, or they're family members. And Officer Sigarbro actually told me that a lot of officers don't want to do ride-alongs because a lot of folks that come on ride-alongs kind of come to tell the officer how to do their job. Mm-hmm. You know, they are critical of the officer and stuff like that. But because of our friendship that we built up through the podcast, he was comfortable doing it with me. And I told him, plain blank, I'm not here to try to tell you how to do your job because I'm no police officer. I basically, for the eight hours I was there with him, I observed and asked questions afterwards and stuff like that. I didn't try to tell him, this is how we speak. Now, I observe, I kind of stay back in the shadows a little bit. I stay with an earshot of whatever is going on and make sure I can see. But I kind of stay back and let him do his job because I wasn't there to tell him how to do the job. I think he appreciated that. And I'm grateful for the fact how he did it. Like we had one traffic stop. We were driving behind him. I don't think he realized there were police behind him, but he swerved in the road and went over the yellow line. And as soon as I saw that, Officer Sigarbo said, what in the world? What are you doing? And I'm like, he's on his phone. And so he lighted him up and he pulled in the left lane. And then make a U-turn. And when he did that, I'm saying, he's going to run. But then he just pulled to the other side and pulled over. But that was the only time he said, you know, wait and let me go up first. And then after that, then I can come out and watch what's going on. Just want to make sure everything is safe. Because, of course, as I said, I wasn't wearing a vest. Obviously, you're not allowed to take weapons with you because of liability issues and stuff like that. So that was the only time I really had to stay back a little bit first. But other than that, every call... I follow him wherever he's going. They did a good job explaining their codes to me. So if they say something come out of the radio, they'll tell me what it is in plain English, show me the computers and everything. So as I said, I felt like I was at least a police officer for that point of time because they didn't treat me like I was just an observer, which I was just an observer, but mm-hmm. they treated me like, you know, so. So in between the time that calls came in and... Did you have downtimes? Like, what did you do during the downtimes? Yeah, that's a good question. So I got there about an hour in his shift. And when I got there, the very first call I went on was a disturbance. Teenagers at the McDonald's not buying anything and refusing to leave. But by the time we got to the McDonald's, they were already gone. And when we got there, there were already two other police officers there. And they were talking to a, a former police officer. We just kind of stand around there and talk, whatever the case may be. Then when we left there, immediately we went to, this was a young lady, she called because she wanted to report a scam that was happening. And this was the most bizarre of the evening, of the afternoon into the evening. Because if someone had related this story to me, I would probably tell them they are lying. But apparently this young lady, a mother of two, saw an ad on Instagram that asked her to send money to them and they would double the money back to her. 
So she Apple paid money over a course of like two weeks up to about almost $1,400 to this person, random person on Instagram, thinking she'd make an investment. And then when she was asked for her money back, she couldn't get her money back. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice to this young lady. Because she said she was out of a job and she's a mother of two. But you see something on Instagram and you send money to a stranger expecting it to double within a week. I uh, know. I'm going to refrain from using any description, but I asked the officer afterward, how do you keep a straight face on that? Because to be honest, I had to bite my lip while I was listening there because I didn't really want to laugh because I think that wouldn't have looked nice, but it came across to me as like, Let's say naive. Yes, naive is a better word, but I don't get it that someone would see something on Instagram and say, send me money, and you send them money, and then expect, I don't know. The officer and I were talking afterwards, and I said, like, I wonder if she maybe thought that if she said this, maybe she's lying, and maybe if she said this, the state or the county or whatever might give her back her money, because the officer told her, we're going to file a report or whatever the case may be, but there's no guarantee you're going to get their money back. And she was a little bit sad about that. I can understand being a single mother with two kids and out of a job that you gave him money and he didn't get it back. But I don't know. I don't understand how people fall for stuff like that. You know, but I don't want to be mean to this young lady because she did lose a lot of money. But that was the second call that we went on. And then after that, we went on to a domestic disturbance kind of thing. There was this young lady who had rented an apartment and moved her mother in. But it seemed like her mother had some sort of mental disorder. Mm. So her mother trashed the place, stole her money. And also she had reported that she had stole her laptop. But by the time we got to the house, she said she found the laptop. So the mother didn't take the laptop. But the mother took cash and checks of hers. And she worked at IHOP. The that mother was, does or the, the, the daughter? The, the daughter, daughter does. Did. I think the daughter was 23 and the mother was about 40. So... Mm. But she took her daughter's money and whatever and kind of went there, filed a report and stuff like that, kind of look around the place and figure out what's going on there. But yeah, those were the first couple of calls that we went on. For that last one you just mentioned, after responding to that call, did you ask the officers what they think about the progressives in this country that say, oh, well, you know, when you're dealing with mental health issues, why do we need to send police officers? Why don't we send social workers instead or psychologists or people in mental crisis, let's send those professionals instead. Did that topic ever come up in terms of what they think of that and whether that's a viable option for the country? No, that didn't come up. But I think his state and county already have things in place to handle mental and stuff like that. And I think also the daughter had already gotten some kind of order against her mother. She took the money and stuff like that and the checks and the daughter believed she went to a different jurisdiction. So the officer told her she would have to contact the other jurisdiction and maybe they can go and execute the order. And if they go execute the order, then by law, they would have to take her to the hospital to get a mental evaluation. But they can't go and execute it anymore because she's no longer in their jurisdiction, even though they were in the same state. So that discussion kind of come up. She kind of asked about that stuff. But I think she came from court that same day or from the police precinct or whatever to get the order to have her be mentally evaluated. Hmm. But by the time she got back, the mother took the money and everything and left. And she said, okay, I believe I know where she is, what address she is. And he said, okay, that's in 
out of my jurisdiction. So this is what you have to do if you want to execute it. And you only have five days to do it, or else you have to go and have to go back to the process again to get them to give another order for her to get their mental evaluation. But we didn't get into the politics of it, of stuff like that. So those are the first three calls. Wow. And so when you don't have a call, you didn't have a call, what were the police officers doing? Were they like riding through the community and kind of just driving through to see how things were going? Or were they just parked somewhere waiting for the next call? Yeah, both of those are true. When we didn't have a call, we were driving through his area. And he was kind of showing me around his area and stuff like that. And then after that, what they do, at least for these two officers that I was with the most, they will go to a church parking lot and park. They also have to write their report. For these calls we go on, they have to write a report on what happened and all this stuff. So when they're downtime, he's always on his computer typing out his stuff because they have like 72 hours to get it done. And they want to get it done. So on their time off or their day off or whatever, they don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. So on their downtime, they will be doing that. But the first four hours or so was pretty busy. We moved from one call to the next to the next. Because even before we were done with the daughter and the mother with a mental issue, we got another call that came in. And that was with kids again. And this was a predominantly black area, but it wasn't all black. So we went to, I guess it was an apartment complex where we heard that children were fighting or something like that. Again, by the time we got there, they were gone. So we kind of drove around a little bit. Then we saw some of the kids and the officer was asking them questions and they were they basically cursed the officer at that point. Oh, at least wow. that set of kids, they cursed the officer. Then we kind of drove to an alley and saw some other kids and we were talking to them for a little bit. And then another call came in that was related to the same kid stuff. So we went to a home. I recognized one of the girls because I saw her running earlier and I guess they got in some other kind of confrontation again or something like that. But anyway, her mother was talking to Officer S by the time we got there. And I think she worked at the juvenile detention center. So she was, you know, these mothers, sometimes she was saying, oh, I hope that my daughter get an experience of being locked up because she doesn't listen and all that stuff. Again, my heart goes out to single mothers, but it was a situation where she have a 13-year-old daughter and guess she can't control her daughter. I don't know. Hmm. But it was a teen. Yeah, it was a situation like that. About what time was this for a 13-year-old to be? It was about five, mm. between five and six. Okay. But there was a lot of children around it. It was a condominium apartment area, so there were a lot of kids playing. But one thing that stood out to me, because these kids stood out to me the most, one thing that stood out to me is that when we went there and we got out of the car, a bunch of kids ran up and gave the officer a hug. And mm. these were predominantly black kids. I think he had treated them to maybe Starbucks once or whatever. So they were acting in for stuff. And, but anyway, we left there after we just talked and whatever. We left there and we went to, I don't want to call it a stakeout. There was one officer that was waiting for someone to come out of the apartment complex because they were going to pull him over because there was something out on him. I don't know exactly what it was because there was a lot of police talk that I didn't understand. But anyway, one officer was... Something out on him, like some type of warrant or some type of... It wasn't necessarily a warrant. It wasn't a warrant. It was some sort of public cause they had on him. Anyway, one officer was sitting at one entrance. Then we went at the opposite entrance. And then once he came over the radio that they got him, we kind of went to that traffic stop. And they were searching his car and everything. And he had a paintball gun. But at the end of the day, he was free to go on his way. 
then we went back to the same community for the kids again <laughs> because something else was going on with the kids. So actually what came over the radio was there were children riding on the hood of a car. Wow. So we went back to the same community again, saw the same set of kids. And of course, they were making fun of the officers and stuff like that. I asked one of them how old she was, and she said she was nine. Hmm. And the older girl said she was 11. The officer told me she was 11. So these were preteen, early teen kids. But they weren't saying who was driving the car. They were like telling the officer, they tell us not to talk to the police and stuff like that. But in any case, maybe they start asking the officer for donuts. So I said, you know what? Let's go buy them some donuts and come back. So if you're okay with it, I'll buy the donuts for them and come back because they were acting for stuff and whatever the case may be. So we went back to the precinct. We you know, like used the bathroom, whatever, kind of refresh, and then came back. And when we came back, we got the donuts. And then when we got back in the community, there was a boy with like a rebar or something. And she was saying, oh, he's threatened to hit me with it and all that stuff. So the officer took the rebar from him, put it in the back of the police car. And then we gave them the donuts. And by that time, it was probably 6.30 or so. So it seemed like he sucked down after that. We didn't go back to the community after that. But yeah, it was... Isn't that crazy? The officers have to be officers. And in some cases, they have to be parents. Mm-hmm. And they got to be, I don't mean saviors in the sense of like Christ, mm-hmm. but like if there's like a shootout or some type of mental breakdown, they got to do that too. And all of it different from call to call. Isn't that crazy? And that the fact that the kids are asking them for food. You wonder why, what was happening in their homes where they have to be asking these officers. And obviously they know the officers. If they're running up to them and hugging them and and stuff. So they must at least respect them in some way. Yeah, this was a low income, possibly section eight area. So you can take that with a grain of salt or whatever, however you want to take it. Because when you initially said the kids were asking the officers for the donuts, I thought they were insulting them. Because you know the stereotype of officers and Mm -hmm. donuts. But they were legitimately asking for food. Well, I think it was more that they believe because he's an officer, he has donuts. And I believe because... So it was a little bit of an insulting mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think boy. it was more also that he had treated them before, so they figure... Oh, I see. Act for a cheat or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but I volunteered to buy the donuts for them. My heart goes out to them because you can see that they lack direction. Mm. I don't think necessarily that they are, quote-unquote, bad kids. Mm. They just lack that adult supervision. Of course, I'm not African-American in that sense. So I don't know what the communities are like. And I've never really been in the community and in the group in the community. So I don't know if it's a typical thing to be living in an apartment, condominium, townhome area, and everybody just kind of play and roam. Yeah, I think that's as far quite common. Away. Yeah, and I think that's quite common. So the word the officer used was rascal. They're little rascals, but they're not necessarily bad in that sense. So they will do some dumb thing and someone call the police and you have to go and say, hey, stop doing that. And he said that he'd do his best not to ever have to arrest them. Of course, if he have to, he would. But he said he tried to do his best not to let them get any kind of records. He seemed like he does a lot of talking rather than... Like he said, he went on a call where three boys climb up on the roof of a school. You know, mm. for what? He told them to come down. That's, Dumb kid you know. stuff. Yes, it was more like that. You know, kids playing and fighting and kind of stuff. It wasn't like gunshots or anything. But interacting with the kids, talking to them and stuff like that. They actually thought I was a police officer. I tell them no. And the officer told them that I'm a software engineer. Police officer don't make enough money for me. <laughs> kind of joking. But interacting with them, the 11-year-old told me that her dad was an engineer as well. I said, what kind of engineer is your dad? She said, well, he works on trucks and cars. I said, oh, he's a mechanical engineer. Other than that, what I saw was it seemed like it was a lot of single mothers mm. raising kids. And they're playing in the community 
doing crazy stuff. And he even said it that he felt like sometimes he's being a parent. Mm. He's a young officer. He's mid to late 20s. So When you were on any one of your calls, did any scene or did anything from the movie Courageous come to mind? Well, I asked him about that. He said he has seen the movie Courageous because as he was showing me the computer and stuff like that. And of course, every officer have kind of an area. They have a term for it, which I don't remember, but they have kind of area that that's the area. So I guess after time, they kind of learned the streets. But I remember that scene in Courageous where the sheriff got lost. Because oh, he yeah, yeah, because he didn't know the streets, yeah. So I said to him, you guys have GPS on that computer, right? And he said, <laughs> and he said yes, because it's like, I can understand someone, you're saying, you know, 14 and G, 14 and G or whatever. And the officer's searching for 14 and G because they don't know where it is. Just pull it up on the GPS, I guess, rather than driving around the search. So yeah, they do have all kind of stuff on that computer in terms of when we pull over the guy that went over the yellow line, you know, once he put his driver's license information in and stuff like that, his picture come up and all the information about him. You could tell if he had records or whatever. The officer gave him a warning. Then he gave him a ticket. And he gave him a, I don't know if they call it repair notice, but his tail light was out. So he gave him a repair and he had 10 days to repair it and come back to the precinct and have them sign off on it to show that he did the repair. Yeah. When the police officer pulled over the young man, was he very compliant? You know, was there an attitude? Did he give the police officer an attitude or anything like that? Or he just obeyed, you know, respectfully? Yeah, he obeyed. It was nothing to it. He admitted to being on his phone, mm. being distracted and stuff like that. And the officer was nice enough not to give him a ticket, just gave him a warning and say, hey, your tail light is out. I'm going to give you a repair notice on that. You need to go and fix that. But other than that, he was good to go in his way. Mm. But, yeah. but it sounds like you had a good time. Yeah, it was good. And I think what I saw was old-fashioned neighborhood policing. Okay. And I think that the media don't show you that. You don't show you the officers interacting with kids and the officers interacting with people who have lost money, whether foolishly or not. Officers interacting with people who having domestic dispute with their mother. And to me, that might be just the normal everyday life of the officers. You go and you talk to this person, talk to that person, interacting old school neighborhood policing. The children know the officer by his first name. Mm. You know, and I said, they run up and give him a hug. And they didn't do that for all the officers, but they did it for him. So that tells me that he's doing something in that community that they appreciate. Mm -hmm. So it was good. And that's not something you can fake, right? Because exactly. they are doing it of their own volition. Mm -hmm. It's not like he's saying, come on, kids. They obviously knew him. And I think you were being nice when you said the media doesn't show you that. I think that's a very nice way to put it because I think the media is straight up lying to people about the police. Now, I'm tougher on the police than you are. Because the pandemic and everything, the policing that I saw in some areas kind of put a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth when it comes to policing. But even, I'll give you an example. I read an article where an officer in New York gave a woman a ticket because she was stuck in traffic with her like three week old baby and the baby's screaming her head off and obviously hungry. So she pulls off to the side of the road to breastfeed the child, but she's in a no parking commercial type zone. And she's in the back seat breastfeeding her child. The officer comes and sees that there's no one in the front seat. Didn't bother to look to see if there was anyone in there. Started writing a ticket, you know. And she had to, like, <laughs> expose herself trying to get people to see, hey, I'm back here. And, you know, but because he had already written the ticket, by law, he can't retract it. He has to issue it because he doesn't have the, I don't know if it's called jurisdiction or authority to withdraw that ticket. He wasn't going to give it to her, but because he had already written it, 
And only after she wrote it did she make herself known that she was there. Anyway, that's what actually happened, right? When I read the article, the article bent over backward. The journalist writing the article bent over backward to make it look like the officer knew she was in the car, didn't care, gave her a ticket anyway, just tried to make the officer look as evil as mm. possible. I thought you'd low down dirty people. Like people are trusting you to tell them what's happening in the world, to give us a perspective of news or what's happening. And you're deliberately trying to make this officer look like some type of monster. And that's not actually what happened. Even when the lady was interviewed, she, even she said that's not quite what happened. She did, of course, say that she wished that the officer was more understanding or maybe tried to look further to see if she was in there. Mm -hmm. But even she said, you know, they can't take the ticket back. So why would you deliberately portray officers like that? So I think you were being nice when you said, oh, the media doesn't show it. I think the media straight up lies and on purpose. The media is the enemy for sure. Yeah, yeah. What I saw, as I said, was good neighborhood policing where at least Officer Segabro, thank you for having me. I was impressed at the fact that these kids were running up, hugging him. They thought I was a police officer, that they weren't doing it to impress me because they didn't know I was just an observer. So right. this looked so real So like the reaction was genuine. Right, they, it looked they real to me. And my two biggest takeaway was the kids. My heart goes out to them because, you know, the Bible says they like sheep without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. That's what comes to my mind with them. Or my people lie, uh, die for lack of vision mm -hmm. or lack yeah. of, yeah, Knowledge. for sure. Yeah, I was talking to an 11-year-old, asked what she wanted to be. She had a whole long list from a nurse to a lawyer to all that stuff. I'm like, it's possible, but looking at where she lives and everything, I was like, she's 11 in five, six years. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that time flies. And it's not even a question of where she lives necessarily. It's the lack of, and I don't know her parents. Obviously, we're just hearing about this. But you surprised me when you said that you recognized one of the girls because she was one of the girls that ran away from the police call before. And I thought, where are her parents? She running around the street like this. Where are her parents? Well, she Same was just thing. pretty uniquely. That's why I recognized her because she had on a jeans pants, everything from just above the knee going down was ripped open. Right. That's a style, apparently. Mm. So I kind of recognize her because of that. But the fact that she was in multiple places where the police were being called to. Well, we actually went to her home. Oh, wow. Mm. A call came in and went to her home. Mm. And before we could get there, the kids ran up to the officer and hugged the officer. I see. One thing the officer said to me that the kids, he asked me if I heard when they said that they told them not to speak to police. Mm -hmm. But they're telling the police that. They mm -hmm. told us not to speak to the police. Mm -hmm. So even though... They told the kids still talk to the police. Right. They, will, they will tell the police stuff, what they saw, whatever the case may be. I don't know how much of that the officer can actually use, but if the officer come into an area, they're actually talking to the police, which I think is a healthy thing. I guess that's my opinion. I have no problem talking to the police. I don't have a problem helping the police if that's the case. But obviously, I'm pro-police. So. And again, it's a predominantly black area, and 95% of the calls we went to were black people or a person of color. Sure. But that makes sense because that's what the right. demographics of the right. area are, right? This is the Removing Barriers podcast. We will be right back. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. Did you know that you could find us on Twitter, Gab, Parlor, Facebook, and Reddit? Go to removingbarriers.net slash contact and like and follow us on social media. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross. But I guess we can end with this. But the funny thing was that when it was about an hour left, we went and got dinner. I told Officer S and the officer I was with, hey, I will buy you guys something to eat because they normally don't eat. Actually, I didn't notice. They don't get 
dinner break on lunch breaks. Mm. So, they, so they just eat on the go? Well, you know, during dung time, they can go and buy something to eat, but usually it's not like they get off the clock and go and sit in the precinct and decide. I guess if they're on desk duty, they do, but mm-hmm. if they're on the streets, no. So when they a little bit of downtime, we went and we bought some bought lunch, dinner for them or whatever. And then Officer S left, so we had to go and find him, give him the stuff he ordered. And then we went back to the church and we were sitting in the church and the officer was saying to me, man, I was hoping that you got to see something more than just, you know, the normal calls. And while he was saying that, a call came over. I didn't understand what was going on because, again, if you don't have the ear for the radio, you really don't understand what's saying. And then Officer Sigarago said, I don't think that's in our area. And then Officer S listening and listening and say, forget that, I'm going to go to the ear. So Officer S left and then, okay, we're going with him. And we're going fairly oh, fast. Oh, they're not in the same car? They don't share? No, no. Oh, they're don't. in their own vehicle. Everybody have their own car. Oh, I see. Oh, okay, yeah. I didn't realize I thought, that. Okay. I thought all three of you were, we're in the, the same vehicle. car. Yeah, no, I no, 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 okay. no. Sorry about that. Uh, no, they ride alone. Unless they're training somebody or like me, they have an observer, but they ride alone. So he left in his car, then we left behind him. I think we're going above the speed limit, but we're not going too fast. We're still stopping at stoplights and stuff like that. So we came at a four-way intersection, and we were going to go right. Then we saw another officer come in from the left, going straight. And he had his light and sirens on. So the officer Garbo said, why do you have your light and siren on? And I kind of joked with him. I said, I'm sure it's just to get to the intersection. So when he got to the intersection, <laughs> he turned his light off. <laughs> but then there's something that's come over the radio concerning the same situation that we head into. And then all of them turned their light and siren on. And we were like speeding down the road. And it was kind of weird to see people come out of the way for a car that I'm in. So we're kind of speeding down for maybe a mile or two. We had our light and siren on. What happened? We went to actually a really nice area, single family homes. What happened? The call came over saying that there was someone who was tied up, get tied up with bed sheet and someone was putting a pillow over their head or something like that. We went down there. I tell you, there was like 10, 12 plus police cars down there. Even one of the officers was saying that the entire precinct is down there. Hmm. So we went down there. There were two victims sitting on a front step. And then we started going house to house to folks that have cameras trying to figure out if they got any footage. There were one person, one home, that had a glimpse of a car speeding out of the community, and they transferred that to the officers. But again, even in that situation, it was high stress, whatever the case may be. The police officer didn't even treat me like I was an outsider. They didn't try to whisper around me. Someone explained to me what was going on, everything was going on. If they started using codes, they would, someone would tell me what was going on. One lady that came in like she was the boss. <laughs> she came in with a loud voice. I whispered to Officer S. Is she the supervisor? They said, no, she's just canine. <laughs> so, they used the canine and went to a home, search a home, because apparently the back door was open and the front door was open and they believed something came from there or whatever. So they searched the home with the canine, but nothing came out of it. So that was the last call. And I guess Officer Sugarberg actually got to show me something more than just going to house and pulling over. But I did get to see a traffic stop. I did get to go to homes and stuff like that. And I did get to go on a... I'll call it a high-stress, lights and siren situation where we were heading to someone that had an emergency. And, you know, fire trucks, ambulance, the whole nine yards was there heading down into that community. But overall, I think it, it was good. I was impressed by the officers and the precinct. I think they're doing a good job. Thank you for having me. Do you think that other people should probably try to get an experience like this? Yeah, I would encourage folks to do it. If you, I assume because... Officer Cigarbro, I may have a little bit of it in with him. I don't know if he did anything to get my application approved, 
But of course, you have to go to your background check. You have to tell them why you want to go on a police ride and stuff like that. And then they will approve it. If you're media, it's a little bit more of a scrutiny because if you're sure. going to be, be recording stuff and stuff like that. But if you're a teenager and want to see how the police works, interested in being a police, they will take you. If you're a family member, they will take you. And of course, if it's like being a friend, I'm sure you can put in an application without knowing anybody in the police. But as I said, some of the police officers don't want to do it because people come in with a critical mind, critical voice, trying to tell the officers what they should and should not be doing, which I think is a height of arrogance, going to someone's job, telling them how mm-hmm. to do it. But far as I know, at least for the precinct and for the jurisdiction that I was in, is just filling out the application form, turning it in. And I kind of emailed mine back to Officer Sagabro and he turned it in for me. So I'm assuming if you live in that area, you can turn it in and then they will call it back and let you know if you approve or not. And I guess they would have to find somebody who's willing to take you as a stranger. But other than that, it wasn't a complicated situation to get to go do it. They give you, of course, a lanyard or something to identify you as you're with the police. Mm-hmm. Of course, they don't have arrest powers and stuff like that. I mostly keep my mouth shut and just kind of ask questions afterwards, kind of stay out of the way, as I said, of the officer. Try not to be too much on foot. I enjoyed it. The two things, the kids break my heart just to see what I saw and the interaction of the police and this mother of two that gave her her money that might not get it back. It's the two things that kind of stand out for me. And of course, the very last one, the high stress situation where Lights and Siren was interesting, but it was not as impacting as the kids were for me. So My eye affecteth my heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Bible says. So, mm-hmm. so I gotta say, officers, keep on your good job. Officer Sagarbo, we're gonna have you on sometime again, but thank you for the time. Well, I'm glad that you had a good time, you enjoyed it, and that you were safe throughout the process and that you were able to witness for yourself what the officers do. Because sometimes if you don't actually go and see, you really don't know. Uh-huh. You just do, yeah. you're just believing what you're told. Right. And you don't get to see it for yourself. And so I'm glad that you had that experience that you were able to share. And also, even for those children, that they'll remember this young man that bought um, the donuts. And you never know how things can affect children. And I'm pretty sure that this officer has spent his money on these children as well. Shen, could you talk to that a little bit more? Because you're in full-time Christian ministry. You work with people. And I know that you do things for children on a regular basis. Could you tell? the audience, everyone listening, what does that mean to a child, do you think, to have an adult, whether it's in this case an officer or pastor's wife or whatever, to take interest in the child? Do you think it can change their trajectory? Do you think it can really transform them and put them on the right path, even though they're rascals, as it were? Absolutely. I think children know when you love them and when you care genuinely. And we just never know what impact you can have on a child just by something simple. We may think it's simple, but you don't know what was happening in children's mind or particular child's mind prior to this happening. Maybe a child was really hungry, you know, and the child realizing that a complete stranger bought me something to eat, you know, and I have done girls club and oftentimes I would, you know, take stuff for them and teach little lessons, you know, how to, you know, care for yourself, how to be kind and and stuff like that. Sometimes children will meet you. As a matter of fact, I remember meeting a young lady and her brother in a supermarket with her mother. And the two children were kind of arguing, but the sister's older than the little boy. And I remember saying to her, and they were strangers, you know, I said, is this your brother? And she said, yes. And she said, he's so annoying. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, you should love your brother and treat him well. And so I told the little boy, I said, the next time I see you, you're going to tell me how your sister behaved towards you. And do you know that I saw that little boy sometime after that? And he remembered me. Oh, wow. And his sister said, yeah, every time something happens, he said, I'm going to find that lady and tell her. (laughs) You know, so sometimes, you know, you can actually make a difference Mm -hmm. in small ways with children. And children, as I say, children grow up and they remember. Mm -hmm. So whatever you do, however you treat them, they will remember. You know, so you have to decide what kind of person you're going to be remembered as when it comes to children. So I'm sure these children will remember you. And if you go back to that area, they'll probably come up and give you a hug like they do to the officer as well. Yeah, yeah. So MCG, one last question for you. You've seen what officers do firsthand. You know what the media says about them. You know what the reality is. We're raising four sons. How would you feel? Would you be approving or consenting if they grew up wanting to become police officers? Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I would probably have a bigger problem if they wanted to join the military. But if... (laughs) you're trying to say man (laughs) but if they want to be police officers as i said what i saw was just good community policing where police know the people that they're dealing with and the people know the police officers i didn't see anything that i was a man i can see why knuckleheads are drawn to be police though people that have the authoritative attitude i could see why because oh the ones with chips on their shoulders right they're authority complex or the ones that turn out to be bad officers i can see why people with that kind of personality quite honestly you have a lot of power in your hand as a police officer there because you can stop somebody say you're late for work or something you can pull somebody over you have a lot of power in your hand if you're not checked either by the spirit of god or by maybe your personality after the cigar boy is pretty easy going and stuff like that he even told me he doesn't necessarily like to give tickets so he normally or on the side of giving a warning. But you know, how many times have you been driving down the road and see someone swerve in the road? You don't have the power to stop them and tell them, hey, straighten up. But a police officer could. He swerved in the road, kind of uh, went over the yellow line. Of course, could have caused an accident if another car was coming. But if I was driving behind of him by myself, I was like, okay, what in the world are you doing? But I don't have any power to do anything about it. You know, Officer Garg will light him up, pull him over give them a warning, you know. So you have a lot of power in your hand. And I could see why people that have this personality that I want to be in charge and kind of thing gravitate to law enforcement and all that stuff because of that. But if you concentrate on that, I think you overlook the good men and women who are doing it because of they love the job or whatever the case may be. And at the end of the day, just sitting down and talking to them and stuff like that, they're doing their job. They couldn't wait to go home. Like, I remember... This was about maybe 8 p.m. at this point, And a call came over the radio asking for two officers to stay back until midnight. Now, these two officers, Officer S and Officer Cigarbo, get off of 10. And the call came over saying, hey, we need two officers to stay back to midnight. Because they were short-staffed or there was something happening? They're short-staffed. And they're listening and listening and listening. And then one officer chime in and upset. And then all the officers tried. And they were so happy that they didn't fall back on them. They want to go home. And mm. Officer Sugawa is married. He want to go home. It's not like, you know, they don't have an authoritative... Even Officer S, I think he, he's like 21 or something like that. This is his first... very young man. Mm. Yeah, this is his first month actually on his own. Oh, wow. So he just came off of field training or whatever it is where you had to ride along with someone else. So these are young people and they're not trying to 
world power and all that stuff. At least that's the impression I got. Again, this is just my experience. But they're not trying to world power and all that stuff. They're trying to do their job, do it well, and go home. Mm. And just like when I go to my job, I try to do it well and go home. Mm -hmm. Just that I don't, you know, have the power that they have to pull people over, whatever the case might be. Again, I felt like I was inside looking out. Mm -hmm. It was definitely a different experience, a different feeling. Of course, when we had the light of siren on going, there was a little bit of adrenaline there as well. But other than that, I just saw men and women who wanted to go to their job, do it well, go home and follow the law, whatever the case may be. I didn't see lawless people who wouldn't care about whatever the media portrays. I saw the very opposite of that. Okay, you said you felt like when you went, you were on the inside looking out. Now that you've had this perspective, has your view on the whole defund the police thing changed? Do these people who want to, quote, defund the police, do they seem even more deranged to you now? That you've of seen, course. hence, uh, of course, because I know we have Officer Sigabro on, and he said there were hundreds of officers under, you know, right. what they should be, mm -hmm. you know. So of course, you know, there was one funny story that I forget to mention, but the guy that greeted me when I came in, he was in civilian clothing, so I thought he was just like a civilian working at the police force. So when we came back to the precinct, you know, he was showing me around that area, showing me the cells that they will keep people. They don't keep people there anyway because. The building is kind of old, so they take them to a donor precinct when they need to book someone. So I was going to ask him, why is this person in uniform and this person is not? But because you were showing me all kind of stuff, I forget to ask him. So when we were walking out away from him, I said, why is he in civilian clothes? He said, he's suspended. I said, okay. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't ask him before that. <laughs> so, but good experience. I have nothing negative to say. These guys are just guys doing their job. Wow. That's great. That's a wrap. So are you going to be doing this again? Who knows? Maybe in a different area, perhaps? Maybe. I don't know. Thank you for listening. To get a hold of us, to support this podcast, or to learn more about Removing Barriers, go to removingbarriers.net. This has been the Removing Barriers podcast. We attempted to remove barriers so that we all can have a clear view of the cross.